0: Hello and welcome to the Black Mentors Podcast, where we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truth of black males from all socioeconomic backgrounds. We also advocate for positive images and narratives of black males in all forms of media. I'm your host, Rodney Harmon, and we're joined today by our guest, Israel Sanchez. Israel is a marketing professional, designer, writer, recent website developer with TopekaTogether.com. And the host of Kansas Young Podcast. Today we'll talk to him about the launching of his uh, Topeka Together and the Kansas Young Podcast. How you doing, Israel?
1: Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, yourself?
0: Pretty good. Thank you for joining us and our members today. Really appreciate it. Uh, Just started off uh, to let our members know who you are and, and... where were you raised at?
1: Uh, well, um, like I said, I'm Mr. Sanchez, and I'm originally from Havana, Cuba. I was, uh, I lived there until I was 11 years old, and then I immigrated to Miami with my family. And I, if you know, the, the long story is I ended up in Topeka because my wife's from here. We actually met online through a blog. I used to write this blog and then, oh, sorry. One day I just was curious to see if anybody, any other writer out there, basically anywhere, had the same interest as I did. And I was curious about that. And I just happened to click on a link and about a million results came out. And I, the first page of the results, so it was was really, really beautiful girl. I'm like, hey, who is this person? okay so i clicked on her profile and then i you know i kind of read about her life and i uh i know she seems like a cool person and so i just left her a comment not anything like hey sexy or anything weird like that <laughs> yeah that's not the person i am but those, but just i just said hey you know i actually commented on her post like actually was a thoughtful response to her post that she wrote about and that's it and then one thing led to another she she checked out my blog and she left me a comment, and then I checked out her Facebook, and then we started messaging each other, emailing each other, and eventually we, we met in person, okay. and I, I came over here to visit her, and how I ended up in Topeka, Kansas, but yeah, originally from Cuba.
0: Okay. Now, where were you at when you, uh, you started emailing her? You weren't in Cuba. Where were you at, in Miami, or...?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Miami uh, since I was 11 until till I left when I was like 27, I think.
0: Okay. All right. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, Topeka Together. What is that? And what is the meaning behind the name?
1: Um, Topeka Together, it's, uh, it's a website I created for, you know, during this uh, pandemic, a lot of people have been doing things to help out, like people who can sew, or or people who are like retired nurses like going back to volunteer in hospitals. And you know, I'm not a nurse. I am. I don't know how to sew anything. Okay. But I wanted to use any skill that I have to kind of give back. And recently, I've been learning um, just how to design websites, or um, and just how to get information out there. So I figured, well, if I can do something to help, just a little bit. To keep local businesses kind of uh, in a kind of a public listing in a way, in, in, a, in a format that's easy to access for people, like a responsive website, something that's modern. So that's kind of the idea behind it, and I want to keep it going. I don't just want it to end after whenever this ends the pandemic. You know, whether it's a year or eighteen months, um, whatever the new normal may be. I kind of want to keep that website going regardless, because I feel like that's uh, kind of a positive. Uh, thing to do, just to share this information, others for free, to, to local businesses. And so that's where I started, and that's kind of where I wanted to go, just basically be a resource for people who live here, and people who may be visiting Topeka, and they don't know where to go to eat or to shop, and, you know, to support local businesses and not chains, and we want to keep the economy here growing, and I hope that this website grows to a point that it can help do that. Right now, just I just launched it. Maybe I don't know a week and a half ago, perhaps. Okay. So it's still pretty new, uh, but it's gotten some good traction, and, and I hope that it continues to grow because I want to help out.
0: Okay. All right. Um, I went. To, I recently went to it, and it basically, like you said, uh, it's a for local businesses and local uh, mom and pop type shops and stuff. Uh, how would someone uh, get listed on to pick it together?
1: Uh, people can just email me. There's a, an about me or yeah, there's some actually I created a submit, uh, link on the front page to make it easier. For people to understand what to do and they click on that and it will take them to the about me page and it'll say, email me and I have a, a link that you can click and it'll tell you to an email provider and you can just, it already has a subject line in it. So you don't have to create anything. So that's, it's pretty simple. Just your name, your business name was important. And just an image if you want to use, it, or if not, I usually just pick one that I find that it might work. But so that's the easy way to do it. Just uh, click on a, one or two links on the website, and it'll tell you like the email address that you want to use in your website or Facebook. Not everybody has a website, but I'm trying to be proactive as well. If um, when I have time, I have a full time job and I have kids, so. Some when I have some time, I try to go out and find business that I can either think of or I came across on my feed or somebody mentioned. So I try to have business on my own. But the easiest way, or I guess the most effective way, is for people who actually go to those steps just go to the submit button or link on the home page and follow those. It's an easy just an email basically. And that's the best way to actually get listed. Unless I happen to think of your business because I had been there or, or something like that.
0: Yeah, okay, all right. All right. Uh, You bring up, you know, working and stuff and, you know, family time. And uh, how would you describe the balance between work and family? And how would you tell someone as far as starting a business or something, how they should, what would be your recommendations on the balance between the two?
1: You know, it's something that I'm still learning. Uh, Okay. It's, it's, you have to find a balance, obviously, and I think it's important if you if you like what you're doing and if you're starting something that you want to do, it's, I think the, the problem with that is not a problem, but I guess it, it, you can get carried away sometimes and be okay. really obsessed with it and just want to do it all the time, and that's one thing to watch out for. It's good to be excited. Be excited, obviously, is, is a good sign of your project or business. It's going to hopefully succeed because you care about it. That means other people will care, too. But you have to keep in mind that, you know, when all that goes away, and it might, you still need people around you, and you, it still need you, especially if you have children, or even just a wife or whatever. Like people, we need people, and people need us. And it's important to keep that in mind, and not to get too carried away with, um, just the inner workings of a business, or even just your job too. Right? One thing I learned a long time ago it's uh, to disconnect my mind once the clock hits five o'clock, for example, if, if you're working in a job or even a small business or if you're, if you're, you're a boss, set a time, just set a schedule. Okay. I'm going to work from eight to five or whatever it is, seven to nine. Cause that's the only time I have Just set a schedule and try to stick to it. I know sometimes it's hard to disconnect the, the brain side of it, the mind part of it, but it's, it's really important to do that because you can still be away from your computer or from your phone or, or from whatever you work at. But if you're not disconnected mentally, you're still not present. So it's it's I think one thing to be mindful about that is just be present whenever you are with your family or your friends.
0: Okay, almost the same. Like, what you know, don't take your work home and don't take home to work. Yeah, basically. All right. Uh, I also mentioned earlier about what you do as a living and, and what you do well, not as a living, but what you do on the side is Kansas Young Podcast. Tell us a little bit about that and what's behind the meaning in the name of that.
1: Yeah, so the podcast is uh, coming soon next week I'm gonna officially launch it. There's a trailer already out there, people I, I know you listen to it already. And it started first as a Facebook page. Okay. And Basically, I just wanted to, when I first moved here, I didn't know anybody. So, And I've always been a writer and, and just an artist, so I wanted to meet other fellow thinkers like that, other artists, or entrepreneurs as well, because I, I do believe that entrepreneurs and artists have a common gene, if you will. Like You, ha- you want to create something out of nothing, or something that wasn't there, you want to fix it. So that was one motivation to create Kansas Young, just I wanted to meet like-minded people. Okay. Or, and the other motivation was like I wanted to get those people kind of a platform in a way um, to tell their stories. So Kansas Young is basically people telling their stories about their lives. So I ask them deep questions sometimes, some personal questions. And I've been thankful and lucky that the people that I interviewed, most people have actually been very vulnerable and opened up about things that are hard in their life. And those posts are the most popular ones because people can connect to stories of, of whatever it may be. So I started as a page, then I turned into a website, same content, and now it's going to turn into a podcast, like you mentioned. And I'm still kind of figuring that out. It's, it's a different medium. Uh, it's it's interesting. When I when I did the interviews in person, I could, you know, I could look the person in the eye, and you know, obviously popular, you can do that too, but not now because of the pandemic. But the, I don't know, the audio medium is kind of different because you can... I'm still kind of learning, I guess. I'm, I have a, about six episodes recorded already. And they're all different. Some people go, I go pretty deep, like personal stuff. Some people are just kind of shallow. It, it surprise surprises the person. And Again, I'm thankful for the time. But it's just I'm still learning how to get to that layer that I really, really want to get that I usually went with when I was doing it in person. And just, you know, going back home and rewriting everything and quoting the people. So that's what it is is basically started as a page website and now it's to into a podcast i'm still gonna keep all of them together running i'm still gonna post uh basically a clip or a snippet if it will of the interview yeah. on the facebook page and on the mm-hmm. website but the whole others will be available obviously on the podcast feed
0: okay yeah you said it's a different type of medium and stuff and yeah there there, there, there definitely is a without visual people i don't know you you kind of People listen to audio a lot when they're traveling and podcasts and stuff when they're traveling. So if it's not a video type podcast, it's it's kind of hard to really catch a 15 to 20 minute break for people to really stop and listen. Yeah. And since we don't live in a city, you know, where people travel to work for hours or sit in traffic for two or three hours at a time. Like you said, it's, it's it's a definitely different niche. Uh, trying to yeah. attract the right person to listen to it now like you said they might you get people that are more likely to read it before sure. they actually listen to it you know so uh, like I said I wish you the best of luck and uh, Appreciate And I definitely already uh, read some of your you know the writings and, and on your website and stuff All yeah, right. Uh, what adversity have you faced in life that made you the person that you are today
1: you know when I a few, but you have to pick one. When I was uh, 16, I had a pretty bad car accident. I don't know if you can. People listening are not going to be able to see it, but if you look, be able in social media, I have a pretty significant scar on my left side of my face that r- runs to my eyebrow. Okay. And so yeah, I, I wasn't even driving. Somebody was driving. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. Long story short, this person, actually my aunt, she took a red light. I had to get surgery, and actually four surgeries. It, it was it was crazy. It was a bad accident, and I think what I learned during that time and since then is that, you know, when you're young, I'm so young, I'm 36, but you know, I was 16 even younger. Yeah. So I was about wow, 20 years ago. I didn't think about it until now. Uh, so you think that you know life can just go on forever, right? When I'm 85, when I'm 90, and when something that happens to you, when something that is so shocking and out of the ordinary, it kind of shocks you a little bit to like the reality that life is pretty fragile. And that, you know, nobody's tomorrow is guaranteed. And to learn that at 16, it really kind of changes you a little bit. You kind of learn to appreciate, I guess, people and, and maybe focus a little more on what you want to do. So I think for a long time, and even today when I think about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this definitely affected me in a way that, you know, going going to school with, I uh, have to go to school wearing a patch, you know, I lost a lot of friends because people didn't go see me. So it was, it was a rough time in my life. But it taught me a lot about and how fragile life is.
0: Okay. Uh, what... Uh... Can you go on to more specifics on what actually happened as far as and how long you might have been in the hospital or were you in the hospital? Or?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I was, like I said, I, I, uh, my, when I was driving, she ran a red light. I basically crashed, or um, you know, until I got there, they said, hey, skin is down the windshield? And, and I, just, I almost fainted when they, when they realized it was mine. My skin is just hanging on there. Sorry okay. for the TMI, everybody listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that was hard. And obviously, after I was 16, I was scared. When you're in accident, you're in shock. There's a lot of blood and, and a lot of nerves. One thing that I do ha- remember happening was that when the pan race came, my aunt, oh, I guess I should have probably mentioned this. When I left Cuba, I left without my parents. That's another thing that was pretty traumatic that happened to me that okay. I kind of skipped over because I wanted to picture someone. Yeah, okay. But I left Cuba and I was living without my parents. I, I, I came here with my aunt, two cousins, an uncle, and my great-grandmother, actually. And I, I actually became a, spon- a U.S. citizen and sponsored my mom when I was 23. So about 12 years later, I was able to bring her to the United States. So my aunt was driving, right? She was my legal guardian. So she felt really guilty because she almost killed me. So she was in shock and she was guilty because she was driving and she was distracted and caused it that almost killed the person, you know, her sister's son. So while the, while the paramedics were trying to calm me down, I was actually pretty calm, surprisingly, I was trying to calm her down. And they were laughing, I'm like, you're the one in a stretcher with an IV and you're trying to calm her down. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know she feels guilty. I know she feels guilty. And she was like bawling. Yeah. So I was trying, it was weird. I guess I don't know what that says, but I was trying to calm her down even, and I, I guess it's kind of like who I am in a way, even though I could be on fire I'm trying to help other people. Not to put myself up or anything, it's just something that I've noticed since then. It's like I was trying to make sure she was okay even though I was the one that was like basically hurt. So they took me to the hospital, and one thing I remember is like this, uh, this nurse guy, he was pretty mean to my family because they didn't speak English um, so he he refused to speak to them and I had to translate even though I was like you know old, in shock still and, and, and anxious and nervous and then the guy was like you should have won your seatbelt you know tell me all this stuff and I, again I was like in a stretcher, in shock and yeah, that was very like uh, I don't know it was kind of a very weird thing to face kind of face that xenophobia discrimination when you're at your worst in a way yeah um, and my family too, so that was weird. And then I was like, "Oh wow, this is you know." I really couldn't process it at that time, but looking back, so I, I yeah, I had to get oh I something was that guy did actually. Uh, so it had basically had no skin there; it was just basically just nothing. Layers, skin were gone. There's a, a special kind of uh, gauze you can put in, so it won't stick to your you know. To so when they bandage you, it won't stick to your skin or that's missing. Well, he didn't do that. I did not know. So the next day, when I, when I went to see my surgeon, he when he took the bandage off, that was like basically, there was nothing there protecting us, so was, you know, I started bleeding again, painful. Boy, yeah. So that guy didn't like me for no reason other than that I was Hispanic or something, I don't yeah. know. You know <laughs> All right. so, so yeah, I had to get four surgeries, I had to get actually, the second one, I had to get two bags in my head, like one here and one here. And every week, I had to inflate it, and my aunt actually would inject like uh, some sort of solution. It's I, had two, I had two antennas basically coming out of my head. I kind of laugh now that I look like an ant. Okay. Back then, I was very depressed, but that's what I looked like. Just to give you a picture, if you're listening on audio, I had one antenna coming out from here, one from here, and then you would pump it up, and the idea was to, like on my temple on, the, on my forehead, and the idea was in about a few months, they can just remove that and I would have extra skin so they can just sew that together so I can have the one scar. Okay. So that, that was a long time. I couldn't go to school for a while. I had to get um I had to get my work uh, my homeworks and my classes since sent, since sent home. So yeah, that, that was and then after that I had to get another surgery to to kind of fix what I have and then so I have four. I could have I could have had a fifth one. My surgeon was like, "Hey, I can fix that eyebrow, you know, patch it." I'm like, "You know what? I'm done." No, yeah. i am just done. I'm like, "I'm good." It, it tells me you know it kind of have a story to tell I guess so yeah. after four stretches I was done I was done under the knife I said okay that's it so I don't know if that's where you want it but that's kind
0: of oh I mean that's like I said that's your story and and uh yeah I mean uh I'd go a little deeper in it as far as asking the question is Yeah. can you explain to our listeners which most of our listeners are probably born in America and raised in America. Can you explain to them the process that you come over here as an immigrant and the shock to your system, especially at 11, 12 years old, when you go to a school and you get integrated into a a public school that you may or may not know English and the transformation it took on you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was hard, remember, I came not only without knowing English, but I left my parents behind, so that was an extra level right there of, uh, of difficulty, even though I was close to my aunt and uncle, yes, um, it's not the same thing, so I had that going, going against me, if you will, and and then going to school, the, the good thing is it put me in ESL class in the beginning, so yes. obviously everybody was at the same level as I was when it came to at least uh, not speaking English, right? Or and since I was giving kind of a nerdy kid, for some reason when I was little I used to watch like movies and read and, you know, with subtitles of course in Cuba. And I will listen to the word in English and I read the subtitles so I, I guess I kinda of taught me a little bit and I for some reason I started reading the dictionary in Spanish when I was like ten. Don't know why, I had no idea I was gonna leave the country. So I think that helped because I moved on pretty fast from from ESL. I moved, you know, in about a year I was almost in regular classes already, which is kind of crazy to think back but I just a person. I just like learning so it was I'm always learning something so even back then I was trying to learn English as fast as I could because I, I liked it but as far as like difficulty well there, there's one thing so when Cubans left in, in the 90s um, so I left in 95 I came legally on a plane I was sponsored by, well my great-grandmother was sponsored by her brother but she was able to claim me and my family so I left with them but in 94, a year before, a lot of Cubans came here legally. They came in uh, rafters yes. to Miami. That was a big Guantanamo Bay thing that happened. So I came a year later. Um, so there was this kind of derogatory term to, to Cubans who came. They call them like refs or refugees, whatever, for refugees. Yes. So it's kind of used as a, as a you know, derogatory, as a bad war. So they call you a ref. Somebody was calling you like the worst they could call you for being a Cuban. So... I didn't know what it meant, obviously, because I was just, you know, I wasn't, I didn't come in, a, in, in, like, the idea, I just came legally like everybody else, but, you know, like, they, it's like somebody using the N-word, right, in a way, they, they use it to piss you off and to exert power, you know, to think they have power over you, right, it's yeah. just like a, it's an insult, obviously, to me, so this kid, this, this white kid, that used to call me a ref all the time, you know, and he would just curse at me and just call me that, and, and until one day I've, I've had it, you know, I'm a pretty peaceful guy, but just one day he called me at the wrong, the wrong wire mm-hmm. across, and he, he said something to me and I just started, I punched a kid and we started fighting and so that happened. So when the, my PE teacher came, to so actually during PE class, which of course sports are kind of also, uh, you know, if you're a teenager playing sports or 11, things get heated anyway. Yeah if you're competitive like I was so but this kid was just on me all the time so when my PE teacher came by he asked he was actually a black man and he he, he told me what happened and told him listen these guy's been calling me a ref all this time and and he got it you know being a black man he knows about somebody calling you something like that so he didn't. he's like you know what I get it so he, I didn't get in trouble that kid did even though I was the one that actually pushed him first but yeah. he was incompetent for her. so I don't know that kind of in a way taught me like i didn't know anything about the n-word yet or what he, you know but I, later on i realized oh he got it you know even though obviously the n-word's a lot worse than called call but I'm not, I'm not comparing that i'm just saying yeah
0: oh i understand yeah
1: in my experience that's what I, I was like oh wait so he got it because of i'm sure what he went through growing up you know he was probably 50 back then or 40 something so he grew up you know like like whoa i don't know how old you are but he you know when he grew up things were a lot different now yes there and now, even though now there's still racism, of course, and xenophobia, but obviously, the further back you go back, that the, the harder it was, the, the
0: harder. harder it is. Yeah,
1: yeah, so so he kind of got it. So, I, I later on looking back, I'm like, oh, this is why I didn't get in trouble because I'm like, why didn't I get in trouble? Because he's like, you know what, yeah, I understand, I, I, I get why you did it. So, that so that, that part was difficult realizing that people looked at you differently because you didn't speak English or because you would look different. So, that was kind of a big shock in a way like oh so there you know this is a kind of a different now that i'm here in this country it's not just meeting new friends but also new challenges and that was one of them
0: okay now how long did it take you to get your citizenship
1: you know i could have done it when i was 18 okay and it cost a lot of money so my family you know we didn't have to do it so when i was 21 i think all day would become a citizen okay and, again, that's just taking the test and studying for it. Um, when I took it the lady, was like, you obviously know, <laughs> you know your stuff. So she asked me, like, five questions. The rest was just talking about what I was doing in school and stuff like that. So it was pretty easy f- for me because, again, I didn't have any difficulty with it. But it's a, it's a long process and it costs a lot of money. Actually, it costs more now, yeah. more for sure. They just raised the, the fees recently not surprised uh so yeah but yeah it was about like 12 years or something like that or 11 years after i came
0: okay yeah i know they just raised the fees what about a year year and a half ago
1: i think so yeah
0: yeah i read about that and stuff so Uh, okay all right now uh how did it feel at the time that you were able to sponsor your parents coming over
1: well, I sponsored my mom, Your dad's still in okay. Cuba. my parents were divorced since I was little, okay. um, when I was like two or something, I don't remember, so they've you know, they been apart for a long time, so yeah, I was able to sponsor my mom, and I mean, it felt great, um, like I said, I've been 12 years, I did visit, but I visited only about three or four times in those 12 years, because you couldn't really go whenever you wanted to, there was a limit. Can go once a year. You can go for only ten to fifteen days. Like every year was different. Cuba and US have different crazy laws. Okay. So every year things change. So you never knew. And of course, it costs a lot of money too. Thousands of dollars just to go. So yeah, when I man, when I when I set the paperwork in motion, that was good. But of course, you have to send it to the government. You know, the INS office in DC, and it takes a while. And then, but about maybe eight, nine months after I started the process, she finally got the approval my mom did and my actually my half-brother too came with her okay um he's actually he was he's actually 10 kind of a weird similar scenario he, his dad is still in Cuba he came with my mom when he was like 10 almost the same thing as I went through in a way but with, with my mom in tow for him which is good but yeah I mean I was so happy to see her of course you know I got to the airport and it was it was surreal you know just to have it, have her here finally and my brother too who I didn't really know and, you mm-hmm. know I, I Left when he was like, I think eight months old. Okay. And he came when he was ten years old. So, you know, we and we still kind of get to know each right now. Because when he came, he was I was already in my twenties, and he was like ten. So we spent yeah. like a lot of time together. And now that he's you know twenty five and I'm thirty six, now we're getting kind of to know each other a little more as friends too. Besides you being related by blood. So.
0: Okay. So. What uh, what would you say your in in two words or one or two words, describe the look your mother had when you brung her home to where you were living when she first actually was able to physically see where you were living and actually walk in it.
1: Pure joy. Okay. Two words I can give you because that was what it was.
0: All right. And so that had to have you, I mean, that had to have you melt, I mean, as far as like, I don't know I think we work you know sometimes we work to provide for our current family but we don't realize the joy and everything that we have brought to our mother and our father if if we were raised by both parents Uh, but just to look on their faces you know from the time you get your diploma you know to the time you can walk across the stage for college you know, just even little simple stuff, so graduating kindergarten, the look is, you know, yeah. totally different, so.
1: And unfortunately, because of the way, you know, it happened, she missed most of that stuff. You know, yeah. She they didn't see me graduate from high school. She didn't see me graduate from college. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate. That's kind of the immigrant experience in a lot of ways. It's a lot of pain, a lot of separation.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that. I know when I'm in stores and stuff, and and you, you see a five-year-old kid, he might be in a store with his parents that, you know, don't speak English and uh, they have to translate. And, you know, you got a five year old kid that's actually talking as an adult, yeah. you know, and so it kind of lose a little bit of their childhood up in that that time frame. You know, 100
1: percent. You know, I wasn't five, but I was 11. So yeah. when my family got bills, my aunt and uncle. I was the ones translating, you know, if, if they got a weird phone call, I was the one on the phone. So yeah, you do lose some of that too. Cause you have to grow up fast. Yeah. No you choice.
0: Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. And people can relate if you grew up with a single parent, you know, most people can relate on that. But yeah. if you didn't really grow up in a single parent, you grew up in two family. It's kind of hard to relate sometimes, I think, mm-hmm. you know, so. All right. Um, uh, looking back, um, uh, in your life, what's one thing you wish you understood better about coming to America before you actually got here?
1: Huh. One thing I wish I understood better, besides the English?
0: Yeah, yeah. besides English.
1: <laughs> besides the obvious one?
0: Yeah.
1: I think maybe the dynamics of society. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's racism anywhere and everywhere. Every country has been colonized there's caste and there's racism. It's not in you, right? But, in Cuba, you know, everybody's Cuban.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> there's no, there's nothing, you know, there's no, nothing else. You're Cuban. So, when I came here, I, I wish I had known, you know, like that kid I mentioned about calling me that. Yes. I wish I had known what to expect in a way. And nobody can prepare you for that, I guess, but I wish I had like a head sub or something. And like, hey, hey, by the way, this could happen to you. Yeah. Or, you know, I was, uh, when I was like 15, I was stopping frisked by cops for a couple of friends doing nothing. We just came from playing basketball. Stuff like that that, you know, the people don't don't tell you because, you know, either they don't think about it or they don't expect it. But it happened to me, you know, like uh, I was 15, a couple of my friends were just coming from playing basketball. Cops just for no reason stopped us. You know, they put it against the trunk and told to go against the wall. They touched me in places I didn't feel, feel very happy about or adequate about. It was kind of weird being that young and being searched that way. Uh, yeah. and, and being, you're probably being invaded for no reason. We weren't doing anything. We literally just came from, because we were wearing basketball shorts and shirts. I had a basketball in our hands, you know? And so like, oh yeah, sorry. You know, there's like some BS So I'm like, I wasn't ready for that kind of stuff. Okay. But you kind of learn, you know, like live teaches you obviously but i wish i had known that like hey when you go to this country yeah you gotta learn a language but you also gotta think people gotta look at you differently because you look different or because you have a different accent
0: okay all right what uh, is the most single important reason for your success you think right now as far as like you graduating high school graduating college uh as far as the learning are you have, like you said, you've always been a learner and you always yeah. wanted to learn. What would you attribute that learning and your success to?
1: You know, I think people around me. Like my mom always, she taught me how to read when I was uh, four or five. I was reading my name. I was pretty young, I was writing already a lot of things, just simple things, but I was, you know, I just, she just taught me herself. And when I, so I went to high school and I went to college in, uh, in Miami I got my A, and then I actually got into University of Miami, a really expensive university. It's a long story. Um, I had a family member that was gonna help me pay for it because they were from money, a lot of money, and they did for a year. After that, they didn't. They kind of backtracked on their promise. Okay. So that kind of let me hang with a lot of money, and so I just I was really like depressed, honestly, that year. I almost thought about going back to Cuba. I'm like, what am I gonna do here? And but I didn't. I, I, so, I, yeah, for a long time I didn't go back to school or anything. And then I met my wife, you know, we got married, and, and she pushed me to go finish my degree, get my bachelor. So I did. I went to Washburn and, and I finished it in 2015. So people like that, I guess women in my life would believe to me in this case that either taught me how to read or another one. My wife, she said, hey, I know you can do this. It's going to better your career and our family's, you know, income and just – outlook in the future so go back to school and I did and it was hard because by that time we had our firstborn daughter so I was working full time with a newborn who wasn't sleeping at night and I was going to school full time (laughs) that first semester was one of the most stressful times in my life I'm I'm not even kidding it was bad but I made it and I graduated and so yeah I guess people will believe in me if you have the right people in your life who believe in you and, and teach you I guess how to learn in a way, it, it's really, I think, that's what got me to where I'm at and hopefully to where I want to go in the future.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, describe your wife as far as what she means to you.
1: You know, she's my best friend. I really mean that. People say I am sure her all the time, but she really is. Like, we know each other really well. And, and it's, she's also, she's a photographer. She's also an artist. So... She understands when I have an idea for a cancerous young project or for whatever it may be, she gets me, and I think that's important, and I get her too, but you know speaking about me here, uh, like she understands when I want to do something and when I have an idea, I'm going to pursue it and and she's supportive of that, even if they're crazy sometimes, okay. and she knows when I'm burning myself out she' like yeah, slow down, you know you're gonna burn out, you know yeah. and I've learned to listen to her. That she's kind of the voice of reason, so I mean, she said she's like she's beautiful, and she's really like a great partner in a lot of things that I do.
0: Okay, alright. Now, how would your wife describe you?
1: She would say, with one word, it would be passionate. Okay. Because I, I am passionate about what I do, and, and about what I believe in, especially. Like, if I believe something, I am going to tell people about it, and, and I'll try to uh, just make my case so I am passionate about all the things I believe in and the things that I do okay. I think she would describe me that way
0: alright now one thing I didn't bring up is the fact that if we go to your actual Facebook page mm-hmm. you do a weekly or not a weekly you do a nightly um, update on the COVID you know um, pandemic yeah. you know incidents and you bring up and you give your perspective on it what uh, made you do that because I know you get a lot of responses back from it too Uh, most of the responses I see are positive responses I'm pretty sure you didn't got some negative stuff and you know but uh, what makes you so passionate about the COVID-19 update and as far as your opinion on where you think the government is messing up or is doing the right yeah. thing?
1: You know, it, it started with just me tracking it on my own because I, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of a nerdy person in a way. So I like just keeping track of things, especially something like this that could potentially, well, not potentially, has, you know, killed a lot of people and, and getting a lot of people sick. So I started with me just sharing the numbers hey, this is what happened yesterday, this is what happened today. Because there's a lot of this information out there. And I went to school for journalism. That's my major, and that's what I wanted to do. Uh, even though I'm doing marketing, which is, which is on the other side of go of the line, but um, okay. <laughs> so that's really I'm a writer at heart, honestly. I'm a journalist at heart. So it started with me just sharing that with my friends, and then people started asking, "Hey, can you make this public?" And I did. And then I missed one night because I didn't think about it. It's just like I'm not it's just me posting this. People were like, where's, the, where's my nightly post that people start asking about? It. So now I feel like responsibility it sounds weird because it's just me. I'm just one guy.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think my circle friends do appreciate it, the ones that do comment and, and like it. So, you know, I'm not an expert, I, but I read a lot about the experts, what they say, what they think. As far as the government goes, I think without a doubt, the federal government definitely messes up. You know, Things could have been a lot more contained now if uh, the, minist- the Trump administration had not being so slow to act and dismisses from the beginning. So, yeah, there's definitely not a lot of fault federally. I'm lucky, and I feel lucky that I live here in Kansas, that so we have a governor like Laura Kelly who took it seriously, you know. And, of course, you can prove anything. You think she could have done better like anybody else. But overall, I feel like our state and even just Kansas City or our county has done really well overall in the sense of being proactive about the locking down of places because – she obviously believes in science and not trying to win a popularity contest. She's trying to keep people safe. So I feel like locally and statewide, the government has been pretty – response has been great. But nationally, as I mentioned, it's been poor. And we're seeing the results. And unfortunately, it's going to keep getting worse until it gets better, you know, once we get a vaccine or sort of treatment. So that's kind of where it started, just me sharing what I believe. And, and you know, some people might not like it, but I try to – even though my posts are sometimes I get very passionate <laughs> Because that's the kind of person I am. I try to always bring facts. Like I always have sources in the comments, and I, if I use a quote, I source it below. And I try to find reputable sources, not just you know, you know, Jimmy Bob, what the uh, but actually reputable sources yeah. you know, of people who study this stuff. Because I, I don't like just talking. I don't like making things up. Like I said, I, I'm a journalist at heart, so I do back my things up with sources. I have an opinion, obviously but it's based on actual information, not wishful thinking
0: or ideology. Okay. All right. All right. Um, in closing, if you could put up a billboard up in any city, where would you put it and what would it say? Huh, that's you get, a good question. You, you get two billboards, one here in America and one in Cuba.
1: All right, so one here in America, any city in America. Um, let's see. I think maybe the one here, I will even put it here in Topeka. Why not? And sounds cliche, but I'd probably say, you know, this too shall pass. Okay. I think everybody's worried about, as we should be, about COVID-19, the pandemic. And we should all take all the precautions that we need to, and we should... But remember that as a humanity, as you know, as, as a human race, we've been here before, 1918, and the black plague before that, and be, before that, who knows, there's been countless of, of um, just catastrophic almost level of, of plagues and disease before, and we've gotten through it. And so this will pass. I mean, it, it may take a while. It may take a year to get a vaccine, in 18 months, but it will pass, and and those of us who take it seriously and, and follow the directions of the experts, you know, will have a better chance of being okay. If I had to put a billboard in Cuba, I think it'll be. I'll probably just say, hope. You know, there's hope, maybe. You know, Cuba is an interesting place. Uh, I love my country. Of course, the government's horrible. But the country itself, the people are, are just amazing people. And if you ever visit or visit, people listening to this would know that it's a beautiful country. The people who have nothing, they will give you whatever they have to make your state, you know, just pleasant and welcoming. That's just the way we are overall. So there's, you know, there's a lot of darkness over there, and, and because of the way things are, the way the government has controlled the, the information, which is important, and just population. So just that is there's, there's hope, you know, and and again, maybe maybe it'll be this too shall pass, you know, this revolution. <laughs> Quote yeah. Revolution will also pass one day. You've been here for 70 years, but you know, not nothing lasts forever, right? Even even bad things like that. So, yeah, it's kind of my, my two billboards.
0: Okay. Right. Where can our listeners uh, connect with you online, if you don't mind giving your site? Yeah. And...
1: So, if you want to follow me, I guess, kansasyoung.com is a website you can find, Kansas Young, and If you're a small business and if you want to list your business or just want to take out the page and support it, you can go to com. And I do have a personal website that I created recently because I'm creating websites now. That's what I do now. Uh, It's one of my things I've been learning lately. Like I said, I like learning. So if you go to IsraelSanchez.website, that's where I have all my information there. So IsraelSanchez.website, that's for everything. And then if you want to go individually to each of the projects, it'll be com or com
0: okay now spell your name for our listeners
1: yes it's i-s-r-a-e-l and then last name sanchez s-a-n-c-h-e-z
0: and dot website for not dot, dot com, website dot yeah. website not
1: dot com dot website I try to be fancy
0: okay all
1: right <laughs> actually dot com was taken there's actually a, a painter or an artist named israel sanchez who already has the dot com okay so but all right for me <laughs>
0: All right. well I definitely thank you and uh, we're going to close out now with a well that's all for today's episode of Black Mentors a production of Voiceland Media LLC thanks for listening and thank you thank you to Israel Sanchez for joining me today make sure you join us here every Wednesday as we ask, listen, learn and invest in the knowledge and truths of black men from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram please subscribe to the podcast on Anchor Fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Stay tuned for a new episode every Wednesday. We appreciate everything you've done. Appreciate you, you know, talking Thanks to our listeners today, sir. And and let me just explain Israel is Cuban, like you said. Yeah. This host this post is mainly for black men. mainly interview a lot of black men. As you know, two weeks ago I had the first black female. Today I have the first Cuban (laughs) and I will continue to go on and meet different people throughout. My main thing is that I want to let people understand and know that as black men we also associate ourselves with other men of other nationalities. And just like Israel said and mentioned in his, in, in his story, they kind of face some of the same issues that we face in life. You know, uh, being an immigrant and not being able to speak English at the time, they probably face some, a little bit more discrimination than what we feel, you know, uh, as the onset. So, like I said, once again, uh, me and Israel gonna—we talk about collaborating on some different projects and stuff. So you'll probably see us in the, you know, near future with some different projects, and hopefully this social distancing ends, and you'll probably see us out somewhere hosting a podcast together. So once again, right. this is Black Mentors. We thank you again, Israel, and everyone. Have a good night. Talk to you later.